If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. We are just a week away from the opener, and I know you're like me. Let's get the show on the road. On our final preview show before the season starts, we'll be joined by Isaiah Hole from Wolverine's Wire. As has been the case on all of our preview shows this month, the number one topic has been Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA investigation. We all know what's been going on there, and that Michigan has self-imposed a three-game suspension on Jim to start the season. Was Jim happy about that? It doesn't sound like it, but that's the way it is. Who will be the interim coach is now the question. As of Wednesday evening, when we're taping this show, there has been no announcement made. It really could be any minute now, we just don't know. We discuss all of this in detail with Isaiah on our game day segment, which is coming up. Several players were made available to the media earlier this week. One of them, Braden McGregor, said he is ready for a breakout year, but he thinks a lot of guys on the defensive side are too. I definitely do. I think that this year... Uh, just with the defense we're running, the opportunity that I have, along with a lot of guys on the team, um, I think that there's going to be a lot of guys to break through this year. I'm excited for it. I think I have a great opportunity, but um, I think at the end of the day, this whole defense is going to really have a breakthrough year. Braden said that being familiar with the system and Jesse Mitter's philosophy is also a big part of his confidence. It's my first time in all four years that I've had a, a returning D.C., so it's just nice to have that. The defense has evolved a lot. I mean, we're going to have things, new things that are put in, um, some of the same schemes, some things like that. But it's, uh, you know, it's exciting just to be able to look over there and be uh, familiar with what we're going to be calling. And, you know, he really dives into learning the whole defense and not just your position. So I think learning that is definitely going to help our defense. As far as our opponent goes, ECU head coach Mike Houston said earlier this week, they have a lot of work to do. They know that. But his team will be ready for Michigan. They've been focused on themselves right now. Uh, they'll, they'll get more focused on uh, Michigan uh, moving forward. Uh, they're excited about the matchup. Uh, they're excited about the opportunity. Um, they're well aware of what we're up against. But at the same time, uh, they've got a lot of pride in themselves. Uh, and they'll, they'll, they'll be excited and ready to go September 2nd. My guest today says he's already in a game day and game week frame of mind. And he cannot wait to get this season started. 
Up next is Isaiah Hole from Wolverine's Wire, so don't go away. Here with us on the show this week is Isaiah Hole from Wolverine's Wire. It's been a while, Isaiah. Great to have you back with us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be back. We talked about what in the spring. And, you know, you said it, it's been a while. It feels like it was yesterday, really. <laughs> yeah. I think I just moved into my new house, and that feels like that just happened. Uh, so it's unbelievable that we went from that to, hey, there's a season starting in a week. There sure is, and we've been doing our preview shows for uh, the entire month of August. Seems like longer as you and I were talking about before we hit the uh, record button, the biggest news surrounding Michigan football uh, has been and is this week the NCAA investigation. And, of course, uh, the fact that Jim Harbaugh has uh, been suspended, a suspension imposed uh, by the university for the first three games to uh, start the season. So, I mean, we have to feed the beast. What's your take on all that, Isaiah? Well, it's clearly the the top story. I, mean, I went on three national radio shows yesterday to talk about it. That's like the, well, I, I can't imagine I'm the only Michigan personality that was getting those calls, right? Like it just <laughs> yeah. happened to be those three shows and three different national, what have you. And I'm sure there's other time slots where they were grabbing other Michigan people to talk about it because it's just it's that big of a deal in, in a lot of ways. And honestly, it kind of overshadows a lot of, you know, Michigan being the number two team in the country and all that stuff. But, yeah, I, I, I think that I have mixed feelings about Michigan self-imposing. I think that it's a good move in a couple of ways, and I think it's a bad move in a couple of ways. Number one, I think if it, if it does push the NCAA back, which thus far doesn't sound like it has, then, then it's great, right? NCAA wanted four. They canceled that because ideally they wanted more uh, game suspensions, which is just absurd to me considering the crime. It's, 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 it's someone stealing a candy bar from a convenience store compared to robbing the convenience store at gunpoint and them letting the, the person with the gun go by because it's almost like the – it's almost like the Eddie Izzard skit from the sketcher. It wasn't was a sketcher. It was a stand-up from like 1999 <laughs> where he was th- th- talking about, this is a bad analogy. We're talking about genocide and where he's like, you know, you kill one or two people and, and, you know, you go to jail, but if you kill a whole bunch of people, then it's like, oh, well, well done. You know, that's kind of like the Tennessee's of the world, those SEC schools right. that are out there, like they're flaunting rules and they've been doing it for decades. I mean, there's everyone's talked about the bag man for years now. It, it, it's NIL, but they're still doing the bag man and, you know, like, hey, here's money for your NIL. Oh, what am I representing? I don't know. You know, all those things that are going on all across the, the, the entirety of college football now at this point. And the NCAA is like, yeah, well done. Good job, guys. You know, the cash grabs by conferences and teams jumping ship ncaa is like cool 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 petty crimes and misdemeanors jim harbaugh because he says he doesn't recall something they're they're, they're trying to pin a, mm-hmm. pin a scalp to the the wall i don't really understand it it's just absolutely absurd that they even were pursuing this in the to the degree that they have considering all of the other things that you know you think that they'd be focused on but aren't uh but so michigan i think the a smart thing in that it was trying to get ahead of it saying like, all right, he's already been punished, take it or leave it type thing. And, uh, and then ideally they can get to work on his contract extension, which they were waiting for, to be able to, for the NCAA stuff to be 
in the rear view for them to be able to do that. And with the NCAA pushing to 2024, pushing it to the committee of infractions, having that awkward, like kind of fan facing statement from the VP uh, of the committee of infractions about it's not about a cheeseburger. Right. Which, I don't, I, I don't think anyone internally at Michigan Athletics is saying this is about a cheeseburger. That was like, they're, they're basically responding to Twitter memes at this point, which is unbelievable. So I think Michigan getting ahead of that, that is good. Figuring it out on their own, being able to maybe move on and get the contract stuff done, doing it this year rather than having a suspension next year in which you have uh, Fresno State, Texas, and Arkansas State. Uh, even the two group of five teams are a heck of a lot more difficult than the any of the three they faced this year or even last year. So you want to be able to be a little, you know, and you might have a rebuilding team. You know, Jim Harbaugh thinks 20 guys could go to the NFL draft, right? Like that, that's a, that's an insane amount of turnover and to have to face those teams, uh, especially Texas, mm-hmm. which will have some good quarterback talent at least. So um, I think it's smart as far as that's concerned. The where I don't like it is I kind of feel like they should have just continued to just say, no, we're not going to take what you give us, NCAA. Because it's pretty clear that the NCAA doesn't have the goods when it comes to bringing them down, right? Like, that's why they've been still, you know, they float a little, you know, hey, we might suspend them. You know, hey, we've got something on them. But, you know, all of the all of this is to say that they're kind of waiting because they want Jim Harbaugh to say, okay, I lied, which he's not going to do. So they clearly don't have the goods, right? So right. if I was Michigan, I would have just said, come at us with everything you got. We're just going to say no. I'm sure the Big Ten would back Michigan in this case. They're not going to want to penalize the, the team that very well might be three, you know, three-time conference champions and college football playoff participant and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, this is one of their – to cash cows, you know, before USC joins. So to me, it's, I think in, in some ways, while it was smart that they got ahead of it, I think that you maybe been able, would have been able to get through this without a single game suspension if you just would have held the line. I don't really like them kind of giving in to the NCAA at all. I understand getting ahead of it, and, understand, and I understand that three games is a heck of a lot better than six games or nine or a full season Anything like that that could have happened full season probably is basically just telling Jim to go to the NFL. I think that Michigan did do the right thing. I just still wish that they would have stood a little stronger against the NCAA just for the sake of, like, don't give them an inch because that's where the NCAA finally feels like it has power. Don't you give them power, they'll, they'll exercise said power. If you don't, then they have no power. No, I agree. I think a lot of us feel that way about it. So it, it's going to take care of itself in the future. The The season's here, though. So we know what we're facing with the uh, the Jim Harbaugh suspension, which also means that we're going to have uh, an interim coach to start the season, replacement coach, whatever you would like to call it. Any guess on uh, which of our many qualified assistants that's going to be? Well, it sounds kind of like it would be Mike Hart. Um, at least for game one, and then maybe Sharon after that, because game one, Sharon Moore and uh, Grant Newsom also have one game suspension. So, I mean, let's be honest, the three of not the three of us, there's two of us here. I don't know who else I'm referring to, but the <laughs> two of us, if we want, if we could coach this Michigan team, you know, to, to victory in those games, right? If we really were so inclined. So, heck, I, I would even go as far to say that the, the team is talented enough where he said to JJ, and or Blake Horam or 
what are the whoever ends up being a team captain on one side and the defensive team captain on the other side, you, you go ahead and call the plays based off of what you're seeing. I would bet that Michigan could win. It might not be as pretty as it will, would be with Jim Harbaugh or one of the other coaches leading the charge, but these are not good teams that Michigan's facing. Uh, this isn't uh, – I mean, East Carolina was good last year, but they lost 66% of their roster from a year ago. So this isn't exactly uh, – and heck, they, they could rebound, but like going up against the number two team in the country, this isn't an App State situation where they're defending national champions in the FCS level, right? This is This was a team that was pretty good in its own division in the group of five. It wasn't Tulane. It wasn't UTSA. Wasn't one of the, you know wasn't Fresno State one of the or San Jose State one of those teams that just seems to always be you know ten and two eleven and one something around there Troy um, it, it's it's not of that caliber and they lose most of their team Bowling Green is basically this year's version of Hawaii it's just there might be a little added incentive with uh, with Scott Leffler I think Sue Campbell's still on that staff which is really bizarre because I still see him on you know, Facebook friends with him. I still see him like selling his Michigan tickets and saying <laughs> go blue stuff and whatever. So that's going to be an interesting thing. I mean, they got Connor Vazelak at quarterback, so that m- could be a slightly more challenging, but I mean, probably more like NIU two years ago than anything. And then UNLV, I mean, that's not a great team either. So th- they should be able to emerge unscathed no matter who's coaching just kind of given the talent level and we'll see who, how they end up handling it. It wouldn't surprise me if they did one different one a week. Wouldn't surprise me if they just go Mike Hart all the way. It wouldn't surprise me if it was Mike Hart for game one and then Sharon Moore for the next two or Jesse Minter, who's another guy who kind of seems like this could be his last year as well. There's so much to talk about outside of what's going on on the field, but let's talk about the team uh, for a couple of minutes, Isaiah. And everyone expects the offense uh, to be even better better than it was last year. I mean, that's more than reasonable. You you look at the talent that we're assembling on this field offensive line, the backs, J.J. at quarterback, there are so many many reasons to be optimistic. The fact that J.J. has a year under his belt is really, really important, and and that does make a huge difference, doesn't it? Absolutely. I know people around the country aren't really giving him a heck of a lot of credit, right? They they think usually like a first-time starter, quarterback in year two like JJ was like everyone's been spoiled in college football with a lot of high-end talent in past heavy teams right they think of CJ Stroud right they, they look at you know Caleb Williams and say that's Bryce Young that's what a guy should be able to do in year two Michigan's running a completely different system generally a little bit more advanced in the in the sense of the quarterback has more to do right? If he's not, everything's not kind of spelled out for him as much as it is for some of those others. That's not to say that these others aren't insanely talented. They absolutely are, but they're, they're, they're made to be kind of system oriented rather than quarterback oriented. And JJ did essentially what was asked of him, you know, and, and they, they, Michigan didn't really feel like it needed to showcase his arm talent until it had to against Ohio state or in a comeback situation against TCU. I mean, you saw the second half of Indiana, you know, was another one where Michigan was like, okay, we need to, we need to pull away and do some things here. And so they did, but generally, I mean, they, they were able to rely on Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. And in a way there's nothing stopping them from doing the same, but they're saying we want to feature JJ's, JJ's arm talent 
I think about like Chad Henney, right? Chad Henney went from being, he was a five-star as well. He was rated higher than JJ was even, you know, he, he did an admiral job freshman year coming in and taking over the team. That's not something you usually see quarterbacks able to do, but then had a disappointing sophomore year before rebounding and being an absolute gamer in year three. I'd look at it kind of similar. You get better at football by playing football, Jim Harbaugh always says. And usually players make the biggest jump from year one to year two. I would say a starter is that quarterback is going to make his biggest jump from his first year starting to his second year starting. And it doesn't really matter what uh, what year they're in, right? It, it, there's a reason why players like Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, uh, Drake May started getting talked about more in as they became upperclassmen, not when they were underclassmen. Joe Burrow didn't become Joe Burrow until his senior year. A lot of people look at J.J. and act like, well, he's shown us what he can do and that's it. And I think that's absurd because he has shown us what he can do, but people forget the arm talent. They forget about his first touchdown pass on the run, making an ill-advised cross-body, cross-field throw that goes right into the arms, pinpoint accuracy, you know, to uh to Dalen uh to to Dalen uh, Baldwin for the for the touchdown. So plays like that that he can make. And it wasn't like he was making a lot of mistakes. He mostly took care of the football, had a couple of weird freakish plays. The college football playoff obviously had the two interceptions, uh the two pick sixes. He had the weird interception against Purdue and the weird one against uh Penn State. I mean I just covered literally all of his turnovers right there. Aside from there was the interception against Indiana as well. But if he even cuts down on those mistakes and it feels like he's got a better mastery of the offense, which he says he does, his coaches say he does, his teammates say he does as well, then, yeah, I mean, this can take a big step forward. And he, like one of the things I think people aren't understanding that he's talked about, which has been a big benefit, is he said he was overthrowing a lot of guys last year in the middle of the season on those deep balls because he didn't have the, the rhythm because you have to keep in mind, he didn't have spring ball last year. He was not, he was battling with Cade McNamara, who was the prohibitive number one. You know, he was the, the incumbent starter. So he didn't have that time on pass to really understand, like, the timing when it came to certain receivers. Some guys are faster than others. Some guys, you know, were going to be at different places on the field than or others. And now he says he feels he has this chemistry with the receivers. He knows where they're going to be. He knows you know, how much air to put under the ball, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you saw that starting to play out late last year, you know, the last three games in particular. So uh, if Michigan decides to unleash him, there's no reason why he can't do the thing that I predict every year for every Michigan quarterback under Jim Harbaugh, starting with Wilton's fate forward, of breaking that uh, John Navarre 3,331 single-season record, right? That's not exactly – by today's college football, a very lofty number. And uh, that, you know, if it's 15 games, it's like 220 yards a game. Certainly he has that, that type of talent. So I'm excited to see what Michigan decides to do. The only thing that worries me is you have so many different options to go to, whether it's in the run game, whether it's throwing to the running backs, the tight ends, I mean, the receivers. And I think I kind of underrate them to some degree, but it's, there, there are a lot of options that they have at their disposal. Just don't overthink it. Don't, don't try to do too much, and we'll, you know, let the game come to JJ and the backs. And Michigan should be in an unbelievable place from an offensive standpoint. I mean, I'm in the same boat that I think I underrate this receiving core too, and I'm, I'm not sure why that is, but 
I mean, we have a lot of talent in that room. We have a lot of speed. But, you know, if you read your Athlons, um, a lot of your preseason magazines, if there's going to be a question or they, a unit on the team, the receivers always come up, which is interesting to me, again, because of how much talent is there. I suppose, uh, you know, I talked to Jake Butt last week, and he was saying there's there's plenty of talent there. He said, I think what most people are saying, we want to see two or three guys step up and be consistent this year. And, you know, that might be it. I mean, that really is it because, I mean, ultimately, what are you looking at? You're looking at the the two main guys from 2021. Like, yeah, there were other people involved. You know, Mikey Sainer still was still on the offensive side of the ball at that time. Dalen Baldwin, who was horribly inconsistent. But otherwise, you were looking at Cornelius and Roman. Roman, who was banged up for most of the year. And A.J. Henning was involved in the end-of-round game more so than the downfield passing games. But you still have those two. And so it's for Roman, it's be healthy, play like you did in the TCU game or in the Hawaii game, and you'll be in a good spot. Cornelius, play like you did against Indiana and Ohio State. Because that's the... That's kind of the problem with Cornelius is it seems like he disappears for, well, both of them disappeared for games mm-hmm. at a time. Yeah. And, but I mean, these are both four-star receivers, you know, that's, that's not exactly like they're a couple two-star guys or three-star guys. Like, you know, think about what the receiving quarter was when Jim Harbaugh arrived. It was really just two guys, Amara Darbo, J.U. Chesson, and well, I guess the third one in, in Grant Perry. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't exactly highly recruited guys, even though Darbo, I think, was a four-star. He was like a low four-star in like the 300s. Chesson was a three-star. Grant Perry was a three-star. So they've got a lot better than that because they've basically across the board got four-star receivers. The only ones that really kind of aren't are the fresh or well, two of the freshmen who also seem like they're maybe steals in Samaj Morgan and Frederick Moore. But otherwise, I mean, Darius Clemens is a four-star uh, a lot of people thought he was going to end up at Oregon. He's from Portland. And, you know, it's Oregon's always got that great skill, talent. Uh, Tyler Morris would have been much more highly touted had he not torn his ACL in high school. Uh, and then, you know, Peyton O'Leary could also be involved as well as a, as a guy that is unheralded. I mean, and even if, if, if it, we just need to see these guys make plays, right? That's the most important thing. It doesn't really matter your ranking. But, I mean, we act like Michigan's receiver room is a bunch of two-star guys but last time Michigan had like a two-star type wide receiver the name was Ronnie Bell and he <laughs> went out there and yeah. did some great things for Michigan and now I was like reading the NFL's uh, tweet on him they just tweeted out some highlights of Ronnie Bell from the preseason game uh, this weekend and it was just play after play after play and I'm looking through and seeing mostly 49ers fans being like we got an absolute steal, like this dude's like Debo Samuel and all this stuff. So it's just a matter of playing like that and playing with the consistency. That's the most important thing. And because that was the thing when you looked at who Michigan had before, even when they had uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, wildly inconsistent, five-star, ultra-talented, ultra-athletic, ultra-inconsistent. So uh, I, as long as you have consistent playmakers that's kind of what matters most and I guess we'll like to some degree it's like I guess we'll see but I mean we have seen Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson being able to be the bell cows in the receiving core in a big 10 championship college football playoff year so uh, and certainly it feels like they have a better situation at running back to help them out if for whatever reason 
they're getting keyed in on too much. So it's, it's a good situation, even though I, I rated it uh, on the podcast the other day as the weakest of the, uh, of the position groups. It's, that actually says a lot that we're looking at a, at a position group that got laden with four-star talent, proven talent, uh, with two players at least, and saying that this, this could be better. There's just so much talent there. We're all waiting to see it step up. But when I look at the passing game, I also say, you know, maybe the explosive aspect of the passing game this year will come from two people that aren't wide receivers, uh, tight end Colston Loveland, and using Donovan Edwards more now that he has two hands uh, in the slot out of the backfield more. That is an interesting thought and really, really adds to your weaponry. Yeah, it makes it a little more unpredictable. Colston's kind of more of a wide receiver anyway that he played in high school and they're talking about him like you know yeah we were aware that Brock Bowers exists but we have our own in Ann Arbor and the way they talk about him is about as highly thought of as you can possibly be so with that I mean you and not let's not even mentioning A.J. Barner who Tom Allen when he was at Indiana when A.J. Barner was told told him that he could be the best tight end in Indiana history and then just forgot he existed. Yeah. So it's, they, they have just as good of a tight end situation as they did last year when they went into the season thinking it was going to be uh, Eric all and Luke Schoonmaker. Uh, so, I mean, that's a great situation. And then with Donovan, uh, I mean, he, he got injured on that long pass play against Hawaii and wasn't the same in the past game ever since, but still made a couple plays and touchdowns in the, you know, both, uh, back to the end zone of against Rutgers in Indiana. Sorry, not Indiana, but Iowa. So it will be interesting to see. And then because you can have him, that, that would allow you to have him and Blake Corum out on the field at the same time. And reportedly, Blake Corum's working out more in the past game. It, certainly his hands were an issue uh, more so two years ago and then just wasn't really utilized in the past game too much last year. You get him going in that too. I mean, you're, you're just in a situation where it's like, Again, as long as you don't overthink it, don't get too cute. Don't you know? Just have you know have these things worked out in advance. Obviously, and uh, I mean, it, it could be a truly unstoppable offense if Michigan plays its cards right. But it's it's just it has to be smart with what it's seeing on the field and how it's going to deploy some of these things and not dialing some stuff up that's kind of set up to fail like they did in the college football playoff semifinal. And as long as they're, they're smart about it, I mean, there's no reason why you won't see like the, the first drive against Iowa last year, just basically be every drive throughout the season. I mean, yeah, you're going to stall out here and there, but given the, the teams that they're facing, given that teams won't be able to really load up against the run or the pass necessarily. I, mean, I, I think that this, this could be just an, the best year really truly ever for Michigan's offense. If Michigan plays cards, right. When you look at what we did last year, Jim Harbaugh's mentality, you still have to get the carries for Blake and Donovan. And if they both stay healthy and they're healthy now, this ground game has the chance to be just frightening, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. And it's, it's one of those things where I almost don't believe that they have what they have, yeah. right? It's, that kind of happens any year that Michigan has been good in these last few you know really last two years or really even just last year where it's like well how can this be any better and then it was better right like everyone thought you know who's going to be that third down back Blake Corm's not a guy that's going to turn one yard into three 
turns out that he, you know, you know, happy learned how to putt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's very interesting what they have because ESPN says that these are the two best running backs in the country. Sometimes that works out, right? Like that's kind of what, you know, people were saying kind of that Travion Henderson was, and I think my, myself included last year at this time, had Travion Henderson as the best running back in the conference. Yeah. So things can change. And certainly if Michigan is spreading the ball out more, you, you might not see Blake Corum put up 14, 1500 yards uh, just because they don't necessarily need him to, but maybe, maybe he still finds a way to get it because you know, they have to play back off the pass and he's busting up more, you know, big, big runs and whatever. So it, it, it really is uh, just a lot of talent. Now the thing that worries me still is not knowing who the third back is because I mean, that's a hard, you know, hard position to play. I mean, granted, I don't expect them to run Blake into the ground. I think they'll probably be a little bit more cautious with him given what happened last year. But you want to be able to have those guys because, I mean, you think about that Illinois game, and when you didn't have Blake and you didn't have Donovan, it got real dicey real fast. So that's why I didn't rate them as the top position group in, in that Michigan has, rated them the second. But it, it's still – it has just the potential to just being able to run on everybody. I think the thing that I want to see from Donovan is to – and this is something he said he's worked on is adding that Blake Corum shimmy. Yeah. Right? That's what, you know, Blake going from year two to year three, he was able to get, get it where he was able to add that extra yard, whereas Donovan was, you know, two yards, three yards, five yards, two yards, one yard, no yards, 75 yards. Yeah. And – while that's great, and it kind of reminds me of Barry Sanders at times, right? Like, I, I remember being a, being a kid and as electrifying as Barry Sanders was, there were games where people knew that they were going to run and Barry was locked up until he wasn't. I'd like to see a situation where Donovan does take that next step, just like Blake Corum did, and become a, a guy that's going to get you – Hey, we need we you know we're gonna run it on third and four, and he's gonna get sick, and that's that's gonna be the, the the key for him is to add that to his arsenal, and certainly I mean he's got the confidence, he's got the ability, and honestly Michigan doesn't have to be predictable in the sense of like okay, third and four we're just gonna hand it off, but at the same time I want to be, see them being able to do that with him, not just Blake Corum because having two guys that can do that would really make Michigan's offense impossible to stop. Well, Isaiah, from what we hear, there are, you know, a few ongoing battles with the offensive line, uh, left tackle, maybe center. Whoever ends up winning those jobs uh, will be interesting to see. But either way, this sure looks like it could be another Joe Moore caliber type of a line, doesn't it? I think this is the best line that they've had. And so I think that it's funny that George is the one that's getting spoken of this that way when Michigan returns when you really look at it, yes, Michigan lost two starters, Olu Oluwatimi and Ryan Hayes. But ultimately, I mean, they still have kind of six starters returning in, in a way, right? Because yeah. you, you had Trent A. Jones start half the year at right tackle before his injury, and then Carson Barnhart finished out the year. You had uh, Joel Hadi at uh, left guard when Trevor Keegan was injured starting games. You had Jeff Percy starting uh, against Rutgers for Ryan Hayes at left tackle. And then you that's not even counting the transfers. You got three guys who were starters at their respective schools. So 
you've got nine guys who are starters essentially coming in for five roles. And then you have guys that could be that are just been patiently waiting their turn to get in. And you have guys that Jim Harbaugh says, Hey, we, we need to find a way to get him on the field. And I'm speaking of Andrew Gentry here. So where Michigan is right now with this offensive line is it, they could have the best offensive line in the conference, at least maybe not the country. Cause they're, you know, I, I think you look at Georgia, you look at Texas and their, their offensive lines are really, really good, but you could, you could take an entire second line for Michigan, whatever that ends up being. And it would probably still be the best offensive line in the big 10. You could even maybe almost, I don't think this would be the case, but I think you could, almost go third line and at least be in the upper third of the big 10. That's, that's how deep they are right now. Now they need to continue to recruit in order to be able to continue that for a while. But I mean, this is just night and day and this is why they're having the success more so than anything else. I think on the team is the offensive line and the defensive line they, we, we haven't seen until 2021 where both both of those are just excellent because at the, throughout the beginning of Jim Harbaugh's tenure, the defensive line was incredible, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. And, th- and there certainly were moments where you wanted something a little bit more from them at moments, um, but it, 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 was, you know, it, it was still incredible. And it still baffles me that they don't get better defensive line recruits than they do given – just the track record because basically 2020 it was not great and then 2021 it was back to great again offensive line was not that case right the offensive line finally got to be michigan caliber in 2018 after a couple games of that nebraska game and finally you started seeing that offensive line really take that big step forward i mean they weren't bad in 2015 and 16 but it wasn't great either and 2017 it was a debacle 2018, finally, it kind of figured out how to be pretty good. 2019, it was pretty good, but, I, you know, I, I don't think it was necessarily even as good as it was in 18. 2021, finally, the offensive line got to be great. So having both both lines being as good as they are, I mean, that's, that's why Michigan's having the success it's having. And all you really need, I know I'm kind of going on the other side of the ball here, all you really need is that linebacking core which Michigan is not in the Jim Harbaugh era ever had what I would consider to be an elite linebacking core. If they have that, that's what, that's what usually wins the national championships is having both lines and an amazing linebacking core. And I know people look at the quarterback, they look at the wide receivers, they look at the running back. Really you need those, that line play. And then those guys that were, you know, you want the really, I mean, the running back as well, I guess, but running back linebackers, you get those in order, the bats what propels you from being pretty good to elite. And they finally went from having a trio or duo, depending on how you know what formation they have of guys in the last couple of years that were definitely better. Right? Because I know there's probably people listening that are like, Well, what are you talking about? Twenty twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, there's a guy named Devin Bush and it's like, Yeah, they, there was a guy named Devin Bush and that was it. And he made up for a lot of mistakes. He was just that good. But without Devin Bush, they were not the same team. And certainly you saw that in 2019. It just was not quite up to that same par. 
so you have all those things converge and suddenly you find yourself in a really good situation. Well, we just talked about how important and how just outstanding the offensive line is and, and how much it means to a great football team. But over on the other side of the ball, Isaiah, uh, I mean, I'm excited to see what Jesse Minter does with uh, the talent, especially on that interior D line and at the edge. I mean, we've been blessed to have some really great edge rushers in the last four or five years. It looks like this year we're going to maybe rotate four guys there, but the guys up front and then those edge rushers, it's starting to look really scary up front, isn't it? Yeah, I think this is the first time since 2017 that there's reason to be fully excited about the defensive interior. I, last year, there was excitement with Mozzie. Mozzie was getting spoken up very highly, but I don't think he was getting spoken up as highly even as, as uh, Chris Jenkins is. And it's funny, I, 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 you know, you look at like the ESPN 100, they don't have Chris Jenkins in there, and yet on their <laughs> very own mock draft, he's a first-round draft pick. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, pick one, right? Like, <laughs> something's got to give there. And to, to me, like that, I mean, he was the best run-stopping defensive lineman in the country, and he's he was playing at 285 and now he's, he's like 307 and he looks like he weighs 250 just to look at him because he's just, he doesn't have like an inch of body fat on him. He's just, just that like burly. It's unbelievable. And, and then you add those sophomores, Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant and Kenneth Grant slimmed down and says he's moving a lot better. And, you know, seeing if I think people would have been fine seeing a full time Mason Graham last year, even at times, uh, because he was that good in year one and you make the biggest jump and you from going from year one to year two. Um, and then Rayshon Benny finally started the lights started turning on for him. That started connecting late in the year, made some big plays against Ohio State. The the, the edge rushers, I'm still I still wanna see it. I, I'm excited about it, but at the same time like Mike Morris was getting all this club last year. He did okay, but I mean, and certainly some physical attributes made it so he ended up being the first Michigan edge rusher under Jim Harbaugh to not be a, uh, a top three round NFL draft pick goes in fifth, the fifth round instead. So I, I do think that though, like Braden McGregor, I mean, he's just been biding his time trying to get the mental aspect right after tearing his ACL in high school. And it, it, I said this back when he committed in a reaction video. Now, I didn't know what Aiden Hutchinson was going to end up being, right? But I said, having seen Braden McGregor's film, knowing, like, the excitement inside of Schembechler Hall to try to get a player of his caliber, and having seen Aiden in high school, it was, I said that whatever Aiden, uh, Aiden Hutchinson ends up being, Braden McGregor will be a, a better version of that. So I don't, I don't think I was accurate on that because that would mean, <laughs> that would mean some truly unbelievable things. I don't think you could project that onto anybody that isn't like a number one, you know, like a, a Dylan Stewart type guy in this current class. You know, yeah, yeah. that that to say like, okay, five star number one guy in the country. Okay, yeah, I could see him being, being the number two overall draft pick, um, but. Uh, they still really like what they have in Jalen Harrell. I think people get kind of bored with Jalen Harrell for whatever reason without recognizing that he was pretty good and yeah. last year was only first year starting. That's kind of funny because it, it, that happens, right? Is guy just kind of goes and makes plays, you know, gets sacks, but they aren't maybe as – they maybe weren't as timely as, say, like Josh Uche's sacks, 
you know, like I think people were more excited about Josh Uche because a he led the team in sacks for what two straight years, yeah, and b it was like whenever he got a sack, it was kind of like. Yeah, Michigan could really use a sack right now, and then he gets one. Whereas Jalen Harrell just has kind of done it sporadically, but he's made some bigger plays in coverage. And last year was just his first year as a starter as well, so he can get even better. Obviously, everyone's talking about Josiah Stewart. Um, I I still again I want to see I want to see the progress because two years ago twelve and a half sacks, but last year two and a half sacks. Uh, but he's up to 247 pounds, and I think that he's got a lot where he's able to do. But Derek Moore is maybe the most intriguing one to me. Uh, he's, you know, again, second-year player. Game felt like it was a little too much for him last year. Slimmed down. Feels like he's got a handle on everything now. Feels more mature. Feels like last year was more him versus himself, and now he feels like, okay, now it's me versus the guy across from me. Added some moves uh, to his, his arsenal. So that's, I think, exciting to think about that. And then I think with the interior, which makes it more interesting, is that you've got more than just what I mentioned. Cam Good's going to play. They like him a lot. We saw him a bit during the college football playoff. Jim Harbaugh mentioned the three freshmen. I've long said Trey Pierce is probably physically ready to come and make an impact in year one. Could be that Mason Graham of this year. We also heard Cameron Brandt's really been impressive. So, and you know, Etta, I think it's certainly going to get some some run both on the edge as well as in the interior in year one as well. And I know there's someone else I'm missing on that interior. Oh, yeah, Reese Atterbury. Oh, did yeah. this on the podcast yesterday, too. Reese Atterbury switches over from the offense. That seems like a good move because it's just like, man, you're in senior year. We have talked about how great you are all, all throughout, but we can't get you on the field. And now they found a way where maybe they can get him on the field and, uh, he was spoken of earlier this week uh, as a guy who's fully capable of going out there and making plays. He's already like rising up the depth chart and sounds like he, he could be a guy that could play right away as well, has some defensive uh, experience in high school. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot of bodies. It kind of reminds me of 2016 where it's just, just without having the obvious returners, right? 2015, I guess probably more reminds me of 2015 for that matter right is because going into that year it was like okay they got taco charlton they've got chris wormley they've got uh matt godin and ryan glasgow and and uh i'm missing someone else there it doesn't really matter but they had all these guys but we didn't necessarily know how they were going to be yet and then they were dominant that's kind of how this line feels i'm just curious to see will it be that dominant because it has the capability of being that because if you remember 2016, it was kind of like the team was at third and anything. If, if they could, if, if they were out at four and third down, you knew that defense was getting off the field. Didn't even matter if it was third and one. You knew the defense was getting off the field. I feel like that's what this defense has the capability of being. Well, I mean, I'm just so excited about our edge guys and our interior and and, and the linebacking core. Let's talk about that with Junior Colson, uh, Michael Barrett to veterans, and then Ernest Hausman comes over from uh, Nebraska, and I've read the Nebraska coaching staff say he was their best linebacker at the end of last season. So what a great addition he's been. I mean, you didn't even mention Jimmy Rolder, Jay right. got in that conversation. It's definitely the, the first time really since Devin Bush was on the roster that I feel going into the season like they're in a really, really good situation. Junior Colson's the leader there. 
but he might not be the best one. I mean, like you said, Ernest Hausman might might be end up being the best guy, and he's got to unseat Mike Barrett, who was playing at an extremely high level last year. Uh, by the end of the year, it, it just kind of took that time on task, and uh, you know he's played a million positions, so it makes sense, right? The high school quarterback who comes in and is like, "We're going to put you somewhere, man," and <laughs> you know ends up being a safety, and then a viper, and then eventually a linebacker. Finally, he, he, it took a little while, but he figured it out. You know, really, you're just looking to fill two positions, you know, really. So, I mean, they've got five guys there. And I'm not even mentioning like Joey Velasquez, who had, had some good moments, probably more on special teams, but I think it's definitely capable. So, I mean, certainly you can rotate six for those two positions. And that's, that's a great scenario they have. Junior Colson just looks like a specimen right now. Or Houseman talking to him the few times we've talked to him this offseason he does not sound like a sophomore he sounds like a guy who's been around for five years right like he seems to have a really good grasp on what defense is I think that that's just it's become a more exciting position and now you aren't looking at you know one star in the two weakest slant or the one guy that's expected to be the heir apparent talking about Josh Ross right like as much as Michigan loves to say, like, yo, Josh Ross is going to be like Devin Bush, but even better, didn't really happen that way. You know, it's you're not trotting out Devin Gill. Again, not to impugn some of these guys, but these are not national championship caliber linebackers, you know, that were going to go up against some of those bigger, better teams. It'll get you through the Big Ten, but you need guys that are going to be able to get you across the finish line against Penn State, Ohio State, potentially Wisconsin, especially if, if, if they turn things around and Braylon Allen is playing at a high level, you need a really some really good linebackers out there. And then ultimately, you know, Georgia, Alabama, USC, Texas, whoever ends up being out there. Now I kind of feel confident that, hey, Michigan can, can make some stops. If, they, if someone gets to that second level, Michigan's got multiple guys that could be out there that can make the difference. And that's not something that I was saying really at any point in the Jim Harbaugh era. There's so much to work with at that linebacking position in that group. But, you know, every time you talk about Michael Barrett, he has a special place in my heart. I mean, the guy came in and, you know, you wondered, where are you going to put him? How is he going to work? He's sort of a poster child for when you stay and you work and you persevere, what can happen? Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to pay off for him by potentially being an NFL draft pick, right? Exactly. I mean, it, it, that's not something that anyone was saying at this time last year. And if he just plays the way he did down the stretch last year, he'll get there. That's, that's perseverance right there. Let's talk about that secondary for a couple of minutes, Isaiah. You know, that's another one that if you uh, read any of the preseason magazines, listen to a lot of the analysts, they'll say, hmm, that's a question mark. And I know some folks are worried who's going to play that opposite corner, opposite to Will Johnson. To me, that really is the, the, the only question in that on that back end, isn't it? That's the biggest question. And the good news is they can have safety help. I always say, you know, your your position groups are only as strong as their weakest link. That's where that's the weakest link that's on the team. And we saw what bad cornerback play could do in 2020. And at that time, it was two guys that weren't very good in the, that moment. And then thankfully for them, they rebounded significantly the next year. I know a lot of people, including Michigan, feels really good about Josh Wallace. I still just want to see it. Definitely heard through some back channels that 
as much as they are excited about the move of Marion Walker. And then they have, all, you know, other guys, Jaden Burroughs, Miles Pollard, that could be in that rotation or be, you know, out there, uh, that they're still trying to figure things out. Now, this is pre-fall camp, so I'm curious to see how that ends up working out, right? Like, did, did they make any growth during fall camp? And uh, I say that as Jade McBurrows comes up on my screensaver on my TV at the moment. These are guys that have a lot of talent. McBurrows and Pollard are both three-star guys who had offers from, like, every major school that, you know, the Alabamas of the world. Both had Alabama offers, right? Uh, McBurrows had an LSU offer. Those are the schools where if they, if they offer you, it's very clear you you have the talent to play. So they have bodies, certainly. It feels like it should be pretty good, but it's just a matter of someone settling in. The good news is the front seven should give them opportunities. Like I, I think about with like the 2016 team, best pass defense in the country, 2017-12, I don't really know that for sure, if the, the, those were those cornerbacks all that good, I mean Jordan Lewis was certainly, uh, David Long was, but you know Channing Shrivling and uh, Levert Hill went undrafted despite Michigan's defense being that good. And I think in, it's in part because they had the front capability uh, to speed the game up to allow them to make plays. So as long as the front does its job, Michigan should be in a pretty good spot regardless of who plays opposite Will Johnson. And the good thing about Will Johnson is I think even just based off of the limited intel that he's got, I think they'll turn on that Purdue tape and say, we just don't want to even throw near him. <laughs> right. But whereas we've seen throughout the years at times, no, they're going after the main corner or whatever. I don't think that they want to do that to Will Johnson because he showed you in half a year that he can, he could be almost the team leader in interceptions. I think that it would be foolish for teams to go anywhere near them. And that, that will mean, obviously, they'll, they'll go towards the other, but that they'll have safety help. And you look at the safeties, I mean, it's just such a great situation between Nickel, uh, Mikey Sainer still, who was just unbelievable last year, right out of the gates too, which is just, you know, went from being a, a wide receiver that kind of was okay after, after all this hype in 2019 to being – uh, just one of the best players on the field straight away on the defensive side of the ball. And then Makari Page and uh, Rod Moore. So you have you have help. That's the good news. And I do think it's the weakest position on paper at the moment. But by the end of the year, it might just be, I mean, the defense as a whole. I mean, we're still talking about like, well, maybe the edge rushers will step up like we think they will. Maybe the corners will step up like we think they will. Maybe the linebacking core has all these guys. But if it ends up just being, I'd say, 50% of what we think it can be, good luck for every team trying to move the ball. You might not be able to. Well, final question before we let you get away, Isaiah. We've covered a lot of ground here uh, tonight. Uh, Many of the preseason magazines, and I mean, heck, I hear it from our fan base. They say if there is a year for Michigan to win a national title, This has to be it. And that's putting a lot on a team. Granted, they're that talented, but they haven't played it down yet. But how do you feel about that? I agree. To me, to to sit there and say, well, Georgia's going to three-peat, Georgia's got a lot of questions. Alabama's got a lot of questions. Ohio State has a lot of questions. They might answer those questions. Absolutely. 
there will likely be a team that rises out from nowhere because it happens every single year. It happened last year with TCU. It happened two years ago with Michigan uh, and Cincinnati. So there will be teams that rise up out of nowhere, and it could be a Wisconsin. It could be, it, you know, I know people are loving on Texas right now. I'm not buying it, but maybe it's Texas. Those three that, that I mentioned up at the top, the three that are SP plus, no, sorry, not SP plus, ESPN FBI as of the top three teams in the country. I mean, they all have big questions, particularly at the quarterback position. Now, I think Ohio State has the biggest questions because we're a week away and they do not have a starting quarterback name. Whereas Carson Beck, we know, is a starter. Alabama's in a similar situation to Ohio State. But we all probably think it's going to be Jalen Milrow. But Ohio State also has offensive line issues. I know you look at the talent top to bottom and say, well, they got those receivers. Well, someone's got to throw those receivers the ball. And someone's got to be able to protect that person throwing the, throwing the ball to be able to get the ball to them, right? So when you look at the field, and that's where I kind of stand, I look at what Michigan has in returning talent. Most of any of the teams that are in contention, like by far, right? And like just stack top to bottom, returning production. There's no team in the Big Ten. There's no team in the country that is a power five team that's expected to contend for a national championship that has that much returning production is Michigan. There's a reason why ESPN is predicting Michigan to have 17 draft picks and Jim Harbaugh projects projecting 20. It's just a lot of talent. The schedule is extremely amenable. It would be a disappointment if Michigan falters any, any way on the way to those last three weeks. Those three weeks are going to be hard and it's going to be even more difficult because they're going to have to plow through the three hardest teams I think that they'll face all season. They'll, they'll face some challenges from maybe Nebraska and Minnesota, who are also in their own rebuilding kind of mode. Michigan State, who, I mean, according to a lot of Michigan State fans, a, a likely 12-0 team. They'll have to wait, you know, get through some of those teams. Purdue could be a wild card, of course. Really nothing is stopping Michigan except for Michigan itself on the way to getting 9-0. and And then you should get at least two more out of that. Probably three. I'm going to predict three myself. I'm going to predict them to go undefeated this year in the regular season. And then when it comes, when it comes to the playoff, depending on who they play, they play Georgia in round one. That's going to be tricky. But Michigan now knows what it's like to lose twice. And on one of them, I think that they gave it their all and just weren't up to the task is Georgia was that good. Last year, I think Michigan was extremely overconfident, and it went from the coaches on down, and you could tell that from the types of plays they called. They were overly confident. I mean, it's all the way down to us in the media. I remember asking Garrett Riley some very disrespectful questions in, the, uh, in some of the press conferences. It's just, I think Michigan is built in a way like Georgia that other teams aren't going to see that type of power of football and, but, uh, and physicality. And I know people say, well, Georgia could do it because whatever, blah, 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 blah. And Michigan can't because they give all some, some kind of reasons as to why not. And I look at the field and say, there's no reason why they can't. Because they have enough talent. If they end up having 17 draft picks, even if, even if a bunch of them are like fifth rounders, I mean, that's still, that's still NFL caliber players. They just have more talent than most teams do and experienced talent and you can't 
get better at football than by playing football. And I know by the time the end of the year rolls around, everyone will have some pretty good experience. But these players, I, I if you add up how much time on pass they've had, I mean, it's going to be more than any of those teams. They they know what what they're looking at a lot more, and they were humbled against TCU. So I think that they've learned a lot of very really valuable lessons, and it's it, it's kind of similar, I think, to seeing teams like the Detroit Pistons in the '80s or in the 2000s, right? Like getting to you know to, to face the the Celtics and losing, then they get to the finals and face the Lakers and lose, and they get to the finals and face the Lakers and win. Getting to face the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals and losing, getting to face the Nets in the second round and the Indiana Pacers and then the LA Lakers and they win. I think Michigan's kind of in that similar spot. They know what it takes a bit more than they did before. They aren't the new guys on the block, more so than even the guys that are going to be out there for Georgia. Michigan has a better idea of what it takes to get there and win than anyone else. I mean, we'll see when it comes to a national championship for sure. But at least getting to the playoff, getting to that national championship game, to me, this is the year that you get there. And then you just got to – you better button down and have the best game plan of your life because it's not going to be easy. But they have all the horses that they need in order to win it, in my opinion. Well, if there are any questions where we start to get answers a week from this Saturday in the big house against ECU, so uh, it's almost here. With us today on our game day segment has been Isaiah Hole from Wolverine's Wire. Isaiah, always a pleasure having you on the show. You're a great guest. We thank you for your time, and we look forward to another visit during the season. Absolutely. My pleasure, as always. On Quick Hits today, next week we return to our game week schedule of two shows. On Tuesday's Visitors Edition, we'll be joined by ECU radio play-by-play voice Jim Zoki. Then on Thursday's Michigan Game Day show, we'll hear from the play-by-play voice of our Wolverines, Doug Karsh. So make sure you tell your family and friends about the show and join us again next week as we get ready for the opener in the big house. We ask that you like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter, and if you have a minute or two, please leave a comment or review on the show wherever you get your podcast from. We appreciate it. Have a great Wolverine week, everyone. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. Until we meet again, take care, and as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man, here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue! Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.